Welcome to the Mad Writers Union. Speculative destruction, one episode at a time. I'm Jay Wolf. I'm Tim Berger. I'm Nina Niskonen. I'm Crystal Huff. I'm a little surprised. <laughs> I'm Crystal Huff, huh? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You're just as surprised as we are then. This All time right. we're, we are joined by special guest Crystal Huff who has been uh, chairing all the conventions, uh, mainly Aresia, Relaxicon, co-chairing JoffCon, ReaderCon, and next year WorldCon 75 in Helsinki, because of course Helsinki. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Naturally Helsinki. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, she also works as a uh, trainer, activist, uh, political activist, and I give workshops on things aligned with my activisms. Um, I address sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, those sorts of things. I fight the curiarchy professionally. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she awesome. also does a mean imposter syndrome workshop, which you should all attend because it's awesome. Thank you. I love the imposter syndrome workshop. I actually, at this point, I've given the imposter syndrome workshop internationally. Cool. I've taken it around the US, Canada, the UK, Finland, and Sweden. And I might be taking it to China later this year. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. All right. And how appropriate she's talking to us about community building. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we kind of keep kettle of fishing in terms of things that we think we really should do a whole episode on is the idea of building your tribe, as it were, as a writer. Because not everyone has the possibility of getting shut in for a week to a place with 24 other strangers and going through this intense emotional week bonding or several <laughs> we call it bonding in the industry so yeah we were talking about community building because it's something that comes up a lot on the podcast and yeah we kind of lucked out that we found not only did we find a group of people that we workshopped with but we found a group of people that we left the workshop and still wanted to talk to which i've heard does not always happen <laughs> so you know, we, we have kind of a unique situation, but for a lot of people, especially as adults, it's kind of hard to make friends. Like, even with websites like Meetup and stuff like that, your mileage may vary. Mm -hmm. And you're also talking about a type of person who has the hobby or profession of going off by themselves to type on a computer or write in a notebook <laughs> or whatnot. Yes, it's incredibly solitary, solitary activity. Exactly. Um, so building community with people who do this for large stretches of time uh, intentionally, it tends to attract introverts, I would say. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and introverts <laughs> build a different kind of community. Oh, and build community more intentionally is my impression and more cautiously. That's really interesting because uh, I'm a bit of an extrovert, but I, it never occurred to me that introverts build a community themselves because you always think of the solitary, the, the, the loner that's out there as an introvert. Yeah, it's, that it, do you can can you inform a little more about 
how that happens with introverts? Okay, so this is based on life experience. I haven't done all of the no, yeah, reading sure. on papers and blah, blah, blah. But I have noticed that I am a raging extrovert and I am almost always. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nina. This is putting you, can you avoid choking all of our, uh, this... all of our, our existing uh, membership here? <laughs> so this is putting it mildly. This is a person when you walk with her at a con, she will know everyone. That's mm-hmm. not true. Everyone. And she will talk friendly with everyone. I love people. <laughs> but so I don't know everyone. Um, nobody <laughs> does. But I I make an well, effort. Well, you're certainly making the attempt. <laughs> I make an effort to know the people around me. And I work on these really large projects, which require a lot of volunteer effort. And mm-hmm. what can you do to encourage people to give of their time and often their money and their emotional support? Get them invested? Get them invested. And working on this project in a positive way, you give them back of your uh, time and effort and emotional investment. And so I do that to a large extent with people I'm working with. I, mm-hmm. I find it much easier to have projects in common with friends than to just have a friend who I'm not working on something actively with. Mm-hmm. My personal experience with writers groups has been that if I'm not invested in the manuscripts that I'm helping other people to workshop, then I don't do a good job of it. And I imagine that that's not a unique circumstance. No, and it shows up in work as well, like professional paid work. If you are personally invested in creating the best possible software or carpentry or whatever your profession is, then you invest some of yourself and your pride into the end result and you make it as good as you possibly can. That's sort of how that investment works. With the idea that these things are collaborative, even though it's an incredibly solitary activity. The common understanding of, and I use the air quotes there, common understanding of (laughs) introverts and extroverts is that extroverts get lots of energy and excitement and happiness from spending time around people and recharge that way. And introverts get lots of energy and excitement and recharging from being by themselves and, you know, having time and space to breathe and think and work through stuff. This understanding of introverts and extroverts is not perfect, but if you look at it through the lens of how do communities work for people who get recharged by spending time alone and communities are inherently about investing in other people, introverts can be really selective about the people they invest in because they have to be, because it has to be really worth it because it's not their most easily done MO. Mm -hmm. It's not the easiest way for an introvert to be in the world, to be spending lots of time with others. This comes with the added hindrance or bonus that introverts tend to form really tight communities in that when they get invested, they'll get really invested. Mm -hmm. Whereas extroverts generally might not be so 
very, very invested. I feel like I straddle that line of having, I have introvert tendencies, but I don't know that I'm necessarily inherently introverted either. So it's kind of neat to see someone who lives like squarely in that camp. And then I have some friends that are squarely in the other camp because hello, writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In this very podcast. (laughs) I suspect one of the reasons why I don't get a lot of writing done professionally or personally is I spend my points on people. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of looking at it, too, is that if you are if you want to be a part of a community, you have to be aware that you do have points to spend and you only have so many of them. There's a balance that you have to strike between socializing and getting things done. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you say that. Decisions are super hard (laughs) for me, actually. Yeah. I mean, you you work in these huge projects and there there are hopefully some methods of reigning in the cat parade. Yeah, it, it kind of when, when we were when we were talking about the whole socialization strategies and what have you, it almost sounded like you were kind of gamifying how the social interactions work. Yeah. Um, so is there something is there something that you do to manage the big projects to maybe... To give those intermittent goals. Yeah, the, the intermittent goals to keep them pushing forward a little bit uh, more to help that group evolve. So there is a way that I am with people, which I can sort of try to describe at least, and which I think is is an assist in this area. I'm very empathic, I guess, as a is a good term for it because I'm so Mm -hmm. extroverted and so focused on people. So I often am one of the first people to notice when somebody is having a difficulty. And one of the ways that I show my investment in people who I'm working with is trying to like figure out how to offer assistance in a way that would be welcome instead of in a way that would be like barging in with my mission or whatnot. But it turns out that all people are living their internal lives that you don't see on on their 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 face mask here, right? They've all got something going on that they're worried about or that they're thinking uh, heavily about. and and as much as we joke about how dangerous a question it is to ask a Finn like, how are you? because it's such a personal <laughs> question <laughs> right? Because we will answer you. Yes. We will not say I'm fine. Yes, but that's super. We helpful. will start talking about the bunions. <laughs> but then super helpful because, you can get an honest answer to that question and suss out whether you can be helpful and offer help in an honest way. And so that's one of the things that I try to do. I often find that there are points in a community's life where there is some underlying tension or um, sometimes not underlying in the case of the reader con stuff that we went through. (laughs) And so, for example, with when... The ReaderCon committee, which was normally a lot of introverts working on this goal because they were super passionate about the mission of ReaderCon to talk very intellectually about speculative literature. And they'd been working on this convention for 20 some odd years, many of them. And they all of a sudden had this huge emotional problem to deal with sexual harassment in a thoughtful and honest way and to deal with having made a huge mistake in public and all of the fallout from 
all of those actions like we, we we received some death threats like it was super intense yeah yeah i can see that there would be a really large cumulative effect there yeah so we had scheduled a meeting after uh the convention to do a debrief and i think it was one of the moments where i felt like i was entirely ready to take on a super huge, scary problem, because it was entirely in my bailiwick to say, okay, we're going to spend the next however long it takes to do the logistical debrief part of the meeting that we were intending to have. And we're going to debrief about, you know, who was missing tablecloths and write that all down and file it away. We're going to do that (laughs) part because we said we would do it. And that took like half an hour, right? (laughs) We took a break. We came back and I said, okay, what we're going to do next is we're going to do the emotional work here. Every person in this room, and there were 33 people in the room and like three people online, every person in this room has the opportunity to talk about their emotions about the situation. Because if we don't talk about our emotions, we're not going to be ready to do the work part of dealing with the issues that we really have to deal with by the end of this meeting. So we're going to go around the room and give everyone an opportunity to talk. And everybody at various points, I think there was one person in the room who at the end of everybody else talking was like, I feel like other people expressed how I was feeling and now I'm feeling okay. But everybody else <laughs> ran the gamut of like, I'm angry. I'm sad. I, I feel attacked. I feel pissed off. I feel like we're never going to make it through this and maybe we should end the convention. Like the gamut of emotions about this situation because we were in this crisis situation. And after everybody spoke, I said, I hear you. Like, that's really hard. And this is a super difficult situation. And I really appreciate you expressing yourself like that sort of thing. We got to the end and there was some crying and there was some like people expressing anger at people who weren't in the room and people who were in the room and like got through all of the emotional expressions. And I said, okay, everybody take a deep breath. We're going to take another break. And then we're going to come back here and we're going to go through the statement that we have been drafting for the past week. And we're going to figure out like what we can put on the internet that we are all on board with. And if there is, and we're going to go through section by section, if there is a a thing in this, any one section, you raise your hand if you have a red flag and we'll talk about it. You know, are you concerned about the implications of a word? Are you concerned about deciding to take an action? Like we'll talk about it. And at the end of this day, we intend to have a statement that everyone in this room is on board with and we discussed whose name was actually going to be on the statement. And I think we decided that my name as the chair and Rose Fox's name as the uh, program chair and maybe one other person's name was on it. And then just like, and all of the reader con convention. Like committee. co-signed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Co-signed. Um, and that was also super hard, but we dealt with a lot of our emotions in the first three and a half hours of that meeting. I'm not mm-hmm. kidding. <laughs> and, no, so I, the next, oh, and that's actually kind of awesome. The next it's three hours of that meeting, we're dealing with the <laughs> logistical, like, okay, I have a red flag about this phrase, or I, I, I'm really concerned about committing to take that action. And what does that mean? And like, we 
dealt with all of that, got through it all. And at the end of the day, we published the statement that's available online to address the incident of sexual harassment that had happened at our convention and how we wanted to not be a convention that invited people to sexually harass our members and our our convention because it was our community and we needed to send our community a message and we were either going to send our community a message that we gave a lot of shits about this topic and and that we were <laughs> we're serious about this topic and that we did want to send the message that this was important and we were going to address it the alternative was sending the message that we didn't care and issuing an open invitation for people who wanted to come and sexually harass people to come to our convention. Like it was a choice and it really felt like a binary choice there of who we wanted to feel welcome at our convention and in our community. And Mm -hmm. so we wanted to make sure that we sent the message that our community was welcoming to people who wanted to make it a safer and more inviting and more explicitly conscious of some of these issues and and addressing things that marginalize people in our community rather than trying mm-hmm. to ignore them, which doesn't actually work and therefore just marginalizes people further. So yeah. it's a, it's funny because you actually diffused one of the questions that I that I had on the list here. So awesome. excellent. But yeah, I, th- I think you actually, the strategy that you suggested there, I mean, yours is definitely very formal because it, you had a lot of people to deal with, but I mean, tension occurs in every group sooner or later. So making sure that everyone is emotionally accounted for and and heard sounds like it covers a lot of ground. And it's a super hard thing to do. And, and, and you never know what someone's lived experience is, who you're trying to figure out how to incorporate into your community. And I, I do a lot of workshops at technical conferences too. And I, I run a workshop on uh, addressing sexism in tech, right? And I give people this scenario of there's a woman on the edge of the crowd at your conference and you know, she sort of looks alone and like she might want to engage or might not. Like, how do you figure out how to invite her in in a way that's appropriate? Um, and, and there are various like there's no one right answer or one right. wrong answer. But, you know, there there are some behaviors I try to steer people away from. And there are some behaviors I try to steer people toward. Like you don't want to have a bunch of people at a tech conference who are often cisgender male or male identified in some fashion and like can be a large scary group of guys if they all sort of troop over to this woman and say hi you look like you're alone right yeah <laughs> right? that might be a flag but at the same yeah. time like do you how, how do you issue the invitation in a way that is respectful and inviting and um helpful and yeah. and so like if there's another if there's another woman in your group or if there's someone who's not physically intimidating or whatnot, or maybe like two people from your group go over and say, Hey, we're talking about X. Do you want to talk about X with us? We'd be happy to have you join us. No worries if you don't want to. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of, of stories from my different writer friends. Cause I have a lot of kind of scattered writer friends across 
different internet platforms and things. And that is a common complaint is that you attend, you know, a meetup or another, you know, like a NaNoWriMo event and everybody's already grouped up mm-hmm. and yeah. incorporating new people. I mean, you know, there's always that sort of natural resistance, especially among introverts, but really just about everyone. You have the people that you nest with and investing in new people can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. And and it's really hard because you don't know who that new person is and whether they're going to be a really great investment or whether this is sort of potentially some way to spend your time that and and spend your your people points um that you might later run out of people points because of your low roi (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think that's why i think that's why some cons and uh meetups or, or whatever where you're uh meeting up with people that you don't know it's it's anxiety inducing because even if you are not conscious of it on a on any level that you have people points, you, you you get some anxiety about going into an unknown situation and not knowing what that result is. And so that's taxing energy. Yeah. And and this is this is why I'm here for you because I am a raging extrovert, right? <laughs> hey. <I'm> here. <laughs> Tip number one, find a raging extrovert. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I, I look at the world through the lens of you know, that person over there might be the next like new best friend who is really awesome and who introduces me to all of this new stuff, like, you know, finished delicacies or, or whatnot. <laughs> Going back to the food. Zombie moments. Or zombie moments. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I look at that person and I have been that person and know that like, cause I go to a lot of conventions. I, um, during bidding for Worldcon 75, I went to five conventions in four weeks. A lot. Wow. Um, <laughs> at least wow. every March, there were five conventions in four weeks. I don't know who scheduled March, but they're fired. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, I, so I've been that person of being new on the scene and looking around. And when you're new on the scene, you receive a lot of messages that aren't intended and that are implicit and that send you the message that you aren't, you know, necessarily welcome or you don't necessarily belong, you know, particularly if you're the only woman or the only person of color Mm -hmm. or the only queer person so far as you know in the room, right? Um, and if you look around and set, and you're receiving this implicit message of, I don't belong, it really only takes one person to come up to you and say, so are you here with your boyfriend? Right? Yeah. Which yeah. I've actually gotten. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. 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 And, I, and, and it really particularly only takes one person. And I've heard this said, like, so I see we have the token black woman on the panel. Ooh. Yeah. Really? Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh. wow, you have just sent to this highly qualified professional that <laughs> she is not welcome here. Not just doesn't belong, but isn't welcome. Yeah, I mean I'd say that that's beyond that's beyond implicit into explicit, but yeah. And, and yeah. And so like how do we combat that? 
Well, we try to be yeah. aware that these messages are being sent um, like by the crowd in general, and we try to combat them with mm-hmm. very friendly, raging extroverts. Who <laughs> 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 try really hard not nope. to scare people with their extroversion. <laughs> right. Probably my favorite convention to go to is 4th Street Fantasy in, in uh, Twin Cities. And I, I, the thing that I like that they do, and the first time that I went there, I, I had a friend of mine convince me to go because I wanted to go to a convention that was a little more writer focused and what have you. And she said, well, there's this one right here. We were right in town. And I said, directly, I don't know anybody who's going to that. <laughs> it's very intimidating for me, even though I know I have extrovert qualities, but they make it very easy. They they have first timer badges. They have these ambassador lunches where you, if you're not with somebody you can go to a they'll, they'll take you and they have a group of people that you can go with and and they'll try to form a community for you to try out essentially mm-hmm. i think that's much much harder at the larger conventions so i'm not sure what size convention you think of as a larger or smaller convention because i've i've chaired yeah. a four thousand person convention and mm-hmm. uh, which was Aresia. And I'm, sh- I'm sure that Worldcon 75 will be larger than that, at least in terms of total members, because we already have 4,000 right. members. Um, and I'm hoping we'll have between four and 7,000 people show up in person. <laughs> but, you know. Um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But seriously, um, I'm not sure what you mean when you say large convention, because... Well, I think 4th Street's like 300, right? 4th Street is actually capped at 300. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it, it's very small. It's very uh, intimate. It's single track programming. The other convention that I go to on a, on a fairly regular basis, it's all, it's actually two weeks later. It's Convergence here in town. And that's like 7,000 people. It's rather large and there's multiple tracks. And of course, you know, Michael was here recently and, and talked about that and his experiences. So those are my, those, that, those are my, sizes uh, right there those are those are pretty uh, good extremes Diverging. yeah yep. <laughs> yep um so i go to wiscon when i can uh oh, yeah, yeah which is actually next week and they do a similar thing to fourth street fantasy wiscon is around a thousand people and yep. they have a you know everybody who's new at this convention gather up and choose a food cuisine and they've made reservations at the various cuisine restaurants and they have an ambassador lead the march to, you know, the Indian <laughs> restaurant or nice. the cafe or whatnot. Um, and after the first time I did that, I will never not do that if I'm in town in time because it is a great way. It's a great time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's a great way to meet people. Um, mm-hmm. And there's actually probably something to being humans together with a common experience that everybody needs, which is food mm-hmm. and breaking bread together, sitting down and, and having a discussion where you can at least talk about the food or what you're hoping to see at the convention over the course of the weekend. And you often get to know people over this, like, I think it's the first dinner of the weekend or something. Yeah. Nice. That's it. That is a great experience. I've always took, taken advantage of those whenever I've seen them. So the first international con that I ever went to was Brighton, 
World Fantasy Convention, and they had newbie tables there, and they had someone there from the convention at all times, and people would just show up and sit with other people and introduce themselves and so on. And a lot of Finnish conventions are also adopting this this sort of newbie corner place where you can just go and there will be someone who can tell you about the convention and uh, whatever. You can meet people or just be silent for a few moments <laughs> in, a, in a safe space. And, and actually, in terms of... Um, advice for how to make communities more open and welcoming of new people, making explicit how people can join you by doing things like a newbies info session or a newbies table or mm-hmm. Aresia does a first Aresia panel at the beginning of the convention or something where oh, yeah. like you you state, you know, if this is your first Aresia or if you want to know more about Aresia, you can come to this panel and ask whatever questions on your mind and they have people up front who have helped run the convention or have attended for many years and they usually also have one person who it's their first or second Aresia and can give the fresh perspective on you know what I learned last year (laughs) (laughs) I learned that they give you a ribbon for taking the stairs all the way to the top I think more and more cons are doing that as well. Even the even larger cons start off with a "Hey, here's a first timer con uh, con panel. Ask your questions. Here's this, what's happening and and how how to take in the con in the best way that you can." So, I, yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to kind of touch on is that you know every every group is different and they have their own dynamics, but do you have any strategies for preserving sort of like short-term and long-term stability? Um, We've talked about sort of ways to incorporate new people, but doing that, we also don't want to shed all of the old people as you go either. Well, so in terms of short-term and long-term stability of a community or an organization in general, one of the first things that I recommend is documenting, which is hard to do. It's really hard. Like we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're still working on documenting a lot of processes for Worldcon 75 and we're like seven or eight months into running the convention. <laughs> <laughs> documenting is a good way to give people insight into how to join you and a good way to pass the baton in an appropriate fashion because a community will fizzle out if it's always the same people. Like um, somebody will have a fight with someone else or, you know, people will just realize that they don't want to invest all of their spare time and energy into the same people all the time or like something will happen that will cause a community to fizzle out if it never event attrition. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if you document how things are supposed to work and you hold yourself accountable to those documentations, like um, if you make sure that your practices are in alignment and congruent (laughs) with what you've said, make sure your words match your actions. Super hard. Very important. (laughs) But worth it. Worth it. And, And that creates some stability even when you need to pass the baton in terms of leadership and responsibility within the organization, because you make the organization not be about one individual or a group of individuals. You make it be about the mission or the goal or the work that you create together. 
Yeah, absolutely. Healthy communities have shifts in leadership that that are not based on fights. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> you know, that are, you know, somebody saying, you know, I've done this for a while and I love you all. And I want to make sure that even if something happens to me, that this project continues. So I'm going to intentionally step away. You know, I'm going to right. intentionally step down and somebody else needs to take up the slack. And mm. because you've done all of this documentation, you should be making that nominally easier for whoever has to step into that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like if you're running a nonprofit, you have documentation for where your bank accounts are and how to go about getting new checks or whatever it is. <laughs> All the procedures. Yeah. That's actually really good and, and not something I would have thought of, but that makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, it, it also, I mean, frankly, it also goes back to my imposter syndrome workshop. Often um, people suffering from imposter syndrome are even less uh, likely to uh, reach out and join a new organization or try for a collaboration or a project with other people because they're worried about making mistakes or being found out that they don't know everything because, you know, nobody knows everything <laughs> in the world, right? Um, but like, yes, but it happens you have even to. if you do know everything. <laughs> <laughs> So it's something that helps people suffering from imposter syndrome, too, which is part of what I say in the workshop is like, you know, if your processes are documented and you can point people to like, here's how to volunteer for our convention, here's how to join our writers group, then people will have a clear path rather than going on whatever their assumptions are. And people making assumptions are often like, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh, I have to know the right person. And neither of those assumptions are helpful to an organization, right? Mm -hmm. Nor the like internal <laughs> self-doubt, nor the, oh, you know, I have to worry about social politics in order to join this organization. So you mentioned that fights eventually will happen and um people will <laughs> disagree i love the air quotes around disagree nina yes. i have to call them out here because i they they warm my heart yes <laughs> it's, it's also the facial expression that she's got while yeah. saying this is like part of the whole performance <laughs> yes do you have strategies or techniques for dis diffusing these kinds of situations when they happen i have have things that I try to remember to do if I'm in the middle of the fight, right? Because, because one of my major concerns is to try to make sure that my impact on the world is positive, right? And so I, I work on me. If I'm in the middle of a disagreement, I try to think about like, okay, I need to consciously take a deep breath, remind myself that the person on the other end of this disagreement is also a human being and has feelings. And that's why we're having a disagreement is because we all have feelings. <laughs> and we're, yeah, emotions are so complicated. And we may disagree about uh, implementation choices or decisions of how to go about doing something. But we probably agree about a lot more than we disagree about, like in terms of that this is an important thing. And 
you know, try to remind myself of consensus building techniques and it just really the, the essential humanity of us all and, and trying to put myself in other people's shoes. Although often I can't put myself in other people's shoes because other people are really different and occasionally need time for themselves. It's very strange. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to have to imagine what that's like. Yeah, I'm. I'm really sorry. I I don't mean to other you, but it's so odd. But yeah, so when I'm when I'm in the middle of a disagreement and I'm one of the people involved in the disagreement, that's some of what I try to do. Um, if I'm not one of the people in the middle of the disagreement, but I am. Uh, in a leadership position, there are a couple of different things. Like sometimes I take people aside and say, hey, do you want to talk? Let's spool out some some thread here and, and see what's going on and, and what's going on behind what's going on. Because it's often not about, you know, whether we're doing paper publications or sending people emails. It's often yes. about like, you know, <laughs> some deeper seated thing that was months ago. Or Yeah. Or, or like, you know, that dude made a sexist comment the other mm-hmm. day and I'm still super angry about it and nobody backed me up on it. Right. So like, yep, right. it's coming up again because nobody addressed it before. Mm-hmm. And when we can get back to an emotional origin of where people are coming from, instead of just the situation at hand, we're probably making some progress. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Also, occasionally opens huge cans of worms. Cool. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta well, warn you. <laughs> probably unavoidable. <laughs> just by the way, yes, big flashing uh, red you, light you, here. You may want to make sure you have lots of time. <laughs> so in summary community building just do it because it's worth it yes (laughs) definitely yeah it really like it does take a lot of time it does take emotional energy and at the end of it you you meet amazing people and you get cool shit I think one of the things that I my big takeaway from this episode is really that unless you are a raging extrovert, there's going to be a lot of investment in it. You kind of have to have some skin in the game if it's going to be worth it for you. I agree. And make your selections intentionally. If you're an introvert, you can't take every opportunity. You similar to the way that you choose to spend your time on on anything like you can't take every opportunity you won't sleep so you have to be selective think about what you want to work on and what kind of intentional community you're interested in crystal where can people find you online so I am on the Twitters. I am frequently on the Twitters. <laughs> um, I'm so frequently on the Twitters. I have several accounts. <laughs> My personal Twitter account, which is at Arisia Crystal. And Arisia is spelled A-R-I-S-I-A. Um, and I spell Crystal C-R-Y-S-T-A-L. And then I have a professional Twitter account for tweeting about my activism work, my workshops, and sometimes politics, because the political is the personal and the personal is the political. And also those things roll into the job that I do. <laughs> so yes. my professional Twitter account is at Crystal M. Huff. And I spell Huff H-U-F-F. 
You also have no. a site for your professional. I totally have been. Thing. So it's crystalhuff.com. Yeah. Cool. So, Crystal, have you read any good books lately? I I really need to recommend Ken Liu's Paper Menagerie and Other Stories, his new short story book collection that just came out. Um, it is fucking amazing. Nice. I had already read several of the stories in this book and reread the entire thing cover to cover and made me cry several times to the point where people stopped me and were like, "Are you okay?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great response to a book. <laughs> it is it is so amazing and I learned yeah. things. Like I learned things about history, I learned things about myself. Um it it opened my eyes to a number of possibilities I had never thought about before and I just like I I I wanted to hug him every time I finished <laughs> one of his stories. It's so great. It's so amazing. <laughs> Such a great book. All right. So um that's my book recommendation. Tim, <laughs> have you been reading anything recently? What have you got? My recommendation this week is this graphic novel called Air by G. Willow Wilson oh, yeah. uh, with the art of M.K. Perker. Um, this is it's a it's really fascinating. I, I picked it up just basically because I know that G. Willow Wilson writes uh, Miss Marvel right now. And that's an amazing series. Um this is an earlier work that she did. It kind of starts off in this kind of a thriller in the air and what have you. So there, there's a little bit of romance involved. And then it starts moving slowly into this fantasy with with hints and, and it's almost like this modern steampunk kind of thing. It's not actually steampunk. It's, it's just it has that flavor. It has like the it's really entertaining and it, it, it's a lot different than than what i was expecting and i i am just fascinated with it it's it's a really fascinating read for me and 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 so i that's my recommendation so mm. jay what have you been reading so we know that i'm generally obsessed with process books really and art books and things like that so my recommendation for this episode is going to be The Noble Approach, uh, which is a study of Maurice Noble and the Zen of animation design. So cool. going back into hmm. the, um, well, the f I would say really, I mean, the 40s through the 60s, if you think of the highly stylized animated backgrounds of the Chuck Jones era of Warner Brothers cartoons... Mm -hmm. Maurice Noble is basically the guy who did all of that background work. Um, those nice. really like intensely stylized um, Looney Tunes where they have the kind of extreme Wile E. Coyote canyons and things like that. He's the artist who brought that to the table. Cool. So this yeah. book is a study of his career with a lot of photos and art references and things like that. And also a lot of discussion about his process. He had a lot of students, especially later in his life. He, he had a, a group of guys who I believe they were actually called the noble boys. And they were all people <laughs> huh. who were his 
proteges in the in the industry after him. But so he had a really interesting career path and came to animation through some kind of interesting channels. Looking through this book, it is even the digital version is richly filled with photos and process artwork as well as then final artwork. It's just fascinating. I I'm absorbed. So the noble approach. Mm-hmm. Nina I'm sure you have been waiting with bated breath to actually have something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was totally not planned, but I'm also going to recommend something by G. Willow Wilson, which is Aleph the Unseen. (laughs) You guys! Jay Jay just went (laughs) apeshit. My heart, it it is pitter-patter. Yes. I just realized that we hadn't... Uh, recommended this book on this podcast and (laughs) it is amazing uh it's basically set in very much the spirit of the uh arab spring revolution that happened a few years ago i want to say it feels it feels a lot closer but yeah no it's (laughs) it's set in an unnamed state that is not egypt and is not Punjab, it's fairly explicitly not any of the actual places where it happened. And Aleph is the hacker name for an Arab Indian hacker called, uh, well, I, I'm actually not going to say his name because it's sort of a spoilers. Spoilers. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's gorgeous. It's basically uh, 1001 Arabian Nights meets Neuromancer meets Aladdin Disney style. And <laughs> it's it's fucking awesome. Wow. I tore through it and I couldn't stop listening even for the duration of my working day because I had to have more. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best feeling with a book. Yes. It's one of those books where mm-hmm. you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and then it ends and it was amazing and you're still completely satisfied <laughs> and it's fun and it's rompy and it's also also this sort of bigger message of accepting yourself and ac- accepting others and, and it's just read it. <laughs> <laughs> just read it. Summation. Yes. Awesome. Did we actually say thank you to Crystal? Do you say in goodbye person? to people or? <laughs> on this? Because like, oh my god, I feel like we should. We're terrible. <laughs> I, I, I We're terrible you. people. <laughs> yeah, great. you think? Thank you all so much. <laughs> I like how she's thinking. Oh, you realize that we're going to have such like an six extrovert that she's like, this, "Wow, right? this is great," and we're like, Aah. "Just load them up on the end." <laughs> all right. Uh, <clears throat> Let's not just stop at this, two outtakes. Well, Let's I mean, just any of our inter- interview episodes are going to be giant size. It's just going to happen that yeah. way. Mm. But yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> well, so thank you, Crystal. This has been really helpful. Nina, not, like, howling in the background would be helpful. Serious face. Serious face. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad we're not doing this video right now because all three of you are just rolling. Yeah. Alrighty. 
Um, oh, man. <laughs> anyway, Crystal, Now you're the you. one who can't control his laughter problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just smiling. I'm just, I'm happy. Was, hey, I really good. appreciate that you made the time for us, and uh, I think you've given us a lot to chew on here. Thanks. It's, Absolutely. Oh, it's been really great. Thank you all so much. This has been the Mad Writers Union. Now let's get to work. Our intro music is Cephalopod, and our interlude music is Exotics, both by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Greetings, fellow mad writers. We hope you enjoyed the latest. Questions? Comments? Drop us a line. You can reach us at our website, madwritersunion.com. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash themadwritersunion. You can tweet to us on our Twitter handle, at MadWritersUnion. And last but not least, you can email us at MadWritersUnion at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast and want to help spread the word, please leave a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast repository and help spread the madness and love, but mostly madness. By the way, I have to mention this. I have to mention this. This is the first episode that we've not mentioned Mary Robinette Cole. Oh, no! <gasps> or oh, no! Sean McGuire. Oh, no! No way! The first episode no! ever. She's so great! I know she is! We rave about <laughs> we her all the time. We know she is, which is why we've mentioned her every episode. Every episode, except this one. <laughs>